We continue on through this worship service. Originally, the day after Christmas, I want to say to you again, Merry Christmas, and a reminder that we are wrapping up a sermon series called Our Christmas Mixtape, where we're taking a look at some of the most famous Christmas carols and hymns of all time, and not just studying the, the lyrics and the melody, but to understand how these remarkable songs point us to a truth revealed in Scripture as to what this season is all about also, if you join us for the Christmas Eve service or any of the services that we've had so far, it's been a great season. But if you've missed any of them, you can go to our YouTube channel. Simply go to YouTube, search Bel Air Church, and follow along with this sermon series that we started the Sunday right after Thanksgiving that Pastor Mike Morgan kicked us off with. And today we get to, in this last Sunday in this sermon series, a remarkable song called Go Tell It on the Mountain. Now, personally, I've sung this song in front of more people than any other song in my life. Because every single year for many, many years, long before I came as a senior pastor, we have had a remarkable Christmas tea on our campus here at Bel Air Church. You see, Pastor Kara Crawford, she's currently in her sabbatical year before she enters into a pastor emeritus status, started, and along with a remarkable group of women, ran our Christmas tea for many decades. Now this Christmas tea is legendary in our church family. In fact, other churches have started their own Christmas teas and we've got hopefully some exciting opportunities to, to bring back maybe in new ways, new forms, the Christmas tea in the future. But during my experience with the Christmas tea, again, this predates my time here, I got to be, along with a group of men, a group of butlers, and we would dress up, really nice black tie tuxedos, young and old, and we would serve the women of the Christmas tea. We would go from room to room, and we would pour tea and serve, you know, uh, shortbread and, and, and muffins and such. But the remarkable moment that was the crescendo for us as the butlers of this whole time is that we got to encircle the room as a group of butlers Dozens and dozens and dozens of us, sometimes over a hundred men, singing a song to these ladies, go tell it on the mountain. And it would end with us giving roses, sometimes actual roses or roses of chocolate to these ladies as a reminder of what this season is all about. So today, as we dive into this song, it's a personal favorite of mine, but also really important to understand its history, which I did not know until preparing for this message. A couple weeks ago, I read from a writer who loves to dig into the historical context of some of these Christmas carols. And I want to read a longer section like I did a couple weeks ago from him. I just, I feel like I can't do it justice to simply paraphrase. I love what he's written here as he's digging deep. This is Peter Sanfilippo, and he writes about Go Tell It on the Mountain, and he begins with this little historical context. He says, the catalog of Classic or traditional Christmas songs is almost unanimously European in origin. This also includes several of the American classics with those writers coming from European descent. So it's particularly exciting to come by a lively Christmas carol with a different story behind it. In fact, this song, Go Tell It on the Mountain, is outside the European borders. And let's dive into it. In fact, it has its origins as a spiritual and a folk song, but it's, it's very murky in its origin. You see, this song likely dates back to the mid-19th century, 
And these African-American spirituals were passed from plantation to plantation orally as they were sung. The songs were disseminated without sheet music. There was no recordings. And so it makes them difficult to date accurately. But the person responsible for making a Christmas classic out of this African-American spiritual, Go Tell It on the Mountain, is a Nashville-born collector of spirituals named John Wesley Work Jr. Listen to this. Work's lifelong love for music started at a young age. His father was the director of the church's choir. And though Work Jr. studied Latin and history at the all-black Fisk University, he organized singing groups there as well. He combined his passions for history and music into his search for African-American spirituals. And with the help of his brother and his wife, he compiled their findings and published them in a variety of books. The New Jubilee Songs is sung by the Fisk Jubilee Singers in 1901. The New Jubilee Songs and Folk Singers of the American Negro in 1907. And it's in that one that it features the first publication of Go Tell It on the Mountain. Just a number of years before my grandfather was born, this was published. He goes on. This is where the importance of the Fisk Jubilee Singers comes in. I love this. The school's a cappella ensemble would tour across the U.S. to fundraise for the college, a tradition that Fisk University continues to this day. I'm sure you can Google, you can look up the Fisk Jubilee Singers. But back then, again, they would move throughout the nation. And they were hugely important to the dissemination of spirituals and African-American folk music to predominantly white audiences in the 19th century. In fact, these performances were the first time many people ever heard spirituals, having been unaware of their existence before because they lived primarily on plantations and with the African-American community. And it was the first time many white audiences were exposed to black music actually sung by black people. This song was a breakthrough. You see, historically speaking, prior to that, white audiences were used to white performers, perhaps sometimes singing in blackface. But this milestone moment was where they witnessed these remarkable songs sung by these Fisk Jubilee singers. And so Go Tell It on a Mountain is not only significant in terms of a breakthrough here in the U.S., but it speaks to the greatest breakthrough of all time and how we are called to be people who go out into the world to share the good news of what this song is all about. So as we work through this song, Go Tell It on the Mountain, we're going to talk about the go. We're going to talk about what the it is that we're supposed to tell and what does it mean by on the mountain? All right, why don't we dive right into the actual song here. Uh, I'm going to read the whole thing, and I just want us to catch it. I'm not going to sing it, but listen to this. This is Go Tell on the Mountain. Go tell on the mountain over the hills and everywhere. Go tell on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. While shepherds kept their watching over silent flocks by night. Behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy light. Go tell it on the mountain. Over the hills and everywhere, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. The shepherds, they feared and trembled when low above the earth rang out the angel chorus that hailed our Savior's birth. So go tell it on the mountain. 
over the hills and everywhere, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Down in a lowly manger, our humble Christ was born and brought us all salvation that blessed Christmas morn. So go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Now this song actually harkens back to the Great Commission. In fact, as Jesus lived the most perfect life, he died that sacrificial death. And scripture tells us that on the third day he rose from the grave. He appeared to over 500 people and he said to his disciples, now go into all the world and preach the good news of the gospel to all creation. Now, a lot of people who are believers, who understand scripture, who study the scriptures, when they hear the Great Commission, often they're referring to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Let me read it, but then I also want to go to the Mark version as well. This is Matthew 28. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. This is after Jesus' resurrection. And they went to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you to the very end of the age. Now that same moment is recorded by Mark in a truncated version. This is found in Mark chapter 16, verse 14. It says, later he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were sitting at the table and he upbraided them for their lack of faith and stubbornness because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. He said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation. The one who believes and is baptized will be saved. And then in the book of Acts, it describes it this way. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see what Jesus started, the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, which is the experience of God reigning and ruling over every area of our life. And in that reign and rule in the kingdom of God, we experience true peace and joy and reconciliation, not only with God and with each other, but also with creation and ourselves. In God's kingdom, all is right. All that we've ever longed for, all the things that we bump into in this world, the things that, that we don't see as right, that we don't see as fair, that we see good things happening to bad people and bad things happening to good people, this, this sense of unfairness, all is right in God's kingdom. And what Jesus began, he's going to complete when he comes again, ruling on high and in power. But we live in this space between, we've been talking about this in the weeks prior in this sermon series, that we live in the space between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. Remember, this season is called Advent. Advent means arrival. Primarily, we look back on the first arrival of Jesus. We celebrate his birth, but also we acknowledge and, and hope for and yearn for 
his second arrival, his second coming, and living in the space between these two advents, these two arrivals, the two comings of Jesus, God has a plan of restoration, of reconciliation, of salvation, of people experiencing the kingdom of God, and God has a strategy on how people can experience that. God has a strategy for how that can be spread. And it's through people who follow Jesus Christ. When people follow Jesus Christ, Scripture says they become the the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus. They're witnesses to Christ. Some translations call it the church. Remember, the church isn't just a building. It's not an hour on Sunday. It's not a day of the week. It's you and me when we are defined by the reality of who Jesus is. We become the instrument of love and of peace and of reconciliation, the very means through which God wants to heal a broken world as the body of Christ, led and filled by the Holy Spirit. And so what Jesus has started, he is now commissioned He has now sent out every follower of Christ in every area of their life. And so this song is a reminder of the Great Commission and how this gospel, that's the it that we are called to proclaim everywhere, beginning on the place that we stand to the ends of the earth, the it that we're called to proclaim is the good news of Jesus Christ. In the song, it says that Jesus Christ is born, but it's so much more than his birth. It's his birth his life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father. It's the whole story of Jesus that reminds us in one sentence that on one hand we are more broken than we can ever fathom, but we are more loved in Christ than we can ever wrap our mind around. We are desperately in need of redemption, We're desperately in need of being saved from ourselves, from the brokenness, from our bodies deteriorating, so many things. And there's one who has come to us and his name is Jesus. And he loves us, not because we measured up or attended church or did the right thing or avoided the wrong things. He loves us simply because he loves us. And he laid down his life to demonstrate that love to us. And so the gospel is for all people. No matter who you are in society, no matter what your background is, no matter what you've done or failed to do, no matter where you were born, who your parents are, no matter what you do for work, no matter how much you own, no matter anything in life, this good news is for you. And Jesus wants to not only share that message to you and for you to receive in your life, but to realize that now he wants to share that message through you as well. And so this song of go tell it on the mountain isn't just for pastors, isn't just for the staff of a church, isn't just for priests, isn't just for elders. It is for every single follower of Jesus. And this brings us right back to why we exist as a church. You know, Bel Air Church, we've been around for 65 years. Of course, here we are in Los Angeles. And our ministry for all these decades has extended not only through this city, but it's extended to the ends of the earth. We have global partners in Africa, in China, in Egypt, in Brazil, in South America. We have partners also in Colombia, in other places around the globe. And so there's this network, but also we realize that, that what God is calling us to 
Every single one of us, again, not just the pastors or staff or even members, everybody who calls Beller their church home is called to follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. This is an everyday sort of thing. Not just one day of the week, not just for an hour on Sunday. This is every day. This is a life committed to following the way of Jesus. And it's not just here on our physical campus. It's not just tuning in wherever you tune in from, but it's, it's everywhere you go. It's with your family, with your friends, in your neighborhood, in your place of work, when you vacation, when you travel for work, wherever you go, you are called to be a follower of Jesus. And it's not just with Christians and not just with people who believe the same things that you do. It's with everyone. You see, the gospel is the greatest barrier breaker the world has ever seen. It is equal for the peasant as the queen. For the left and for the right, for the down and out, the up and in, for people who are falling apart, for people who feel like they have it all together, the gospel is for everyone. And it's not just for a select group of people to share that good news. Jesus is looking for people with an open heart and open mind to be messengers of hope, to be messengers of peace, to be messengers of joy every day and everywhere with everyone. I love how this song says, go tell it on the mountain. It's a reminder on one hand that when Jesus gave the great commission, he was on a mountain. Scripture actually tells us exactly where that mountain was. In fact, it was on the slopes of a certain area right next to Bethany. You've heard me talk about Bethany. I'm not going to go deep into it right now, but it seems like this is one of the most famous and favorite places of Jesus. It's a place where he was received. It's the home of Lazarus, of Mary and Martha. It seems like it's a place where Jesus would always find himself at home. He would rest there. He would do miracles there. Of course, he rose Lazarus from the grave there. And what's so remarkable is it is there, not in Jerusalem, but it's there on that side of the mountain that Jesus gave the great commission, but also ascended to the right hand of the Father where he exists today. Scripture also says that Jesus will return to the same place that he left. And so on one hand, there's this symbolic geographical place that Jesus said, all authority has been given to you to go, to share, to serve, not just here, not just in Jerusalem, not just in Judea and Samaria, but to the very ends of the earth. This is again for everyone every culture, every nook and cranny of humanity, an opportunity for Jesus to, to live and love through us. Now, what's also true is that there's something unique about our church family. As a church family here in Los Angeles, of course, many of them live here in Los Angeles, but some, as over the course of the last number of years, live in different parts of the country, even different parts of the globe who are part of this remarkable church family. And I've experienced that something unique about who we are as a church family is that we have people that are involved literally in every single industry of influence here in this city and through this city to the ends of the globe. 
And in this season, you've heard us talk about what it means for us to be not just followers of Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone, but when we gather together, we become the church, a church at work. It's our vision for who we are. And there's work that God calls us to do. There's work that God calls us to do together, to love one another, to serve one another, to pray for one another, to encourage one another. And in the season ahead, I wanna invite you to get to work as part of the church, doing ministry here, not only on our physical campus, but on our digital campus. In 2022, it is my goal, and it's our leadership goal that we would have 100% participation of people giving their time and their talent and their treasure to the ministry that happens in and through Beller Church. That means for some of you, you're gonna start volunteering for the first time, working with the kids' ministry, the students' ministry. Perhaps some of you, for the first time, are gonna sign up to, to serve in the city with some of our local partners, the Union Rescue Mission or LA Mission. Maybe some of you, for the first time, you're gonna join a prayer team to pray for people after a service. Maybe you're gonna join a group of people that help write curriculum for some of our classes. Maybe you're gonna be a greeter or an usher. Maybe you'll help with our tech team or, or join our worship team to lead others in worship. Maybe you'll be a Bible study leader. Maybe you'll open up your home to be a life group leader. This is the season where God is calling you and me to get to work. The most important work that we can ever do, it's kingdom work. And when we live our lives doing that work, God's love shines through us. You see, when we go tell it on the mountain, over every hill and everywhere, we do that through word, but also in deed. And even Jesus said, the world will know you are my disciples, church, because why? Because of your love for one another. In this last year and a half, we have seen so much division in our society, but we've also seen a lot of division that has always existed, I believe, in our church. In some ways, it was below the surface. And over the last year and a half, some of that division rose up above the surface. And a lot of people had no idea what to do with it. Some people hightailed it out. They didn't want conflict. And many of them have found in new places that there's conflict there. There's conflict everywhere. There's division everywhere. And yet many others in our church family have realized that God is calling us to be a church that isn't about uniformity, but it's about unity in love, in service, and seeking to understand and, and walk this journey of faith with other people who are very different than us. And so it's my hope and my prayer that in 2022 that we would grow more unified, but that's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take you being patient and seeking to understand. It's going to take you forgiving it's going to take you acknowledging things that you've done that have caused division, perhaps, in relationships in your own life group or within this church family. There is work that God calls us to do, and this is the year we're going to do it because the world is watching. And over the course of the last 2,000 years, the church has ebbed and flowed, and there's many beautiful, beautiful, beautiful things that God has done through the church, Christ's body, that are beautiful and true and eternally lasting and things that have bettered society. But also there are moments where we forget that Jesus is the head of the church and we want things to go our certain way. 
And awful things, sadly, over the course of 2,000 years have been done in the name of God that I believe grieve God's heart. And Christians haven't always gotten the best rap throughout human history, including today. And remember, Jesus says, the world will know you are my disciples. Why? Because of your love for one another. This is the greatest work that we can do in the year ahead. Many people ask me, Drew, what do you mean by being the church at work? First, it's to understand that we are the church. Second, that work that we get to do together primarily begins with loving one another. In word, in deed, in posture, in action, in our relationships, and how we do life together. In fact, you've heard me say before that in Scripture, there are over 50 different verses that we call the one another verses, things that you can only do together in community. Like I said, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to bear one another's burdens. As we practice the one another's of Scripture, we, we become the church at work. We become a loving group of people from a variety of backgrounds, supernaturally drawn together through the love of Christ, united by the Spirit of God. And it's not just that work that we get to do together, but also we're called to go out into the world and to be the church in the world, in our places of work. And so in the year ahead, we're going to do more and more and more to equip you to be the church in your place of influence, in your place of work. In fact, we've been doing our physical campus and entrepreneurs forum. Over 100 people have showed up every single week on Sundays to hear from different entrepreneurs and business leaders about how they put their faith into practice in their place of work. But we want to do more than that. So right in the new year, we're going to start a brand new sermon series on the book of Nehemiah. And it's all about leadership lessons. Now, some of you might say, well, okay, I'm not a leader. I never have been. I never will. I don't want to be a leader. This sermon series isn't for me. In actual fact, you are a leader. I love this quote from Ken Blanchard. He wrote The One Minute Manager. I think it was published like six million different times over 30 different languages. He is a, a legend in the field of leadership. He said this, if you in any way influence somebody else's thoughts or actions, you are a leader. And I guarantee you that this week you will influence somebody's thoughts or actions. If you have any sort of interaction with somebody else over the phone, what you post on social media, how you interact with the person at the grocery store, how you interact with the people driving next to you on the freeway, if you influence somebody else's thoughts or actions, you are a leader. So in this new year, as we get into this brand new sermon series, I want you to commit to being part of every single week. If you miss a Sunday, you can get caught up on our YouTube, but know that this sermon series is for you because you have influence over people's thoughts and actions. And we're not interested in just good leaders. We're not just interested in becoming great leaders. We're interested in becoming godly leaders because you see there's great leaders that lead people to awful things. That's not what we're interested in. We're interested in people using their influence to lead people to Christ, the Savior of the world, the Prince of Peace, the source of love and goodness and purpose. And so you're going to receive practical steps on how you can grow in your leadership to be a godly leader 
And in doing so, we're going to be people that go tell it on the mountain through our areas of influence. Now, you know, there's something else that's been happening for the last number of decades that I want to speak to in its beautiful version, but also in its kind of shadow form. Many of you are familiar with the name Bill Bright. He was the person who started Campus Crusade for Christ and with others started Youth with a Mission. And he had this idea that's been called uh, the Seven Mountains of Influence. Let me just speak to what I believe is beautiful about this. He said that there are different spheres of influence within our society that actually transcend all societies around the globe. And he calls them seven mountains. Let me list the seven mountains. Again, this is his definition. They are religion, family, education, government, media, arts and entertainment, and business. And so his original heart was to equip followers of Jesus to go to these mountains of influence and to be light, to be representatives of Christ, to serve, to express God's heart. And so in really beautiful ways, I believe it captures this song, Go Tell It on the Mountain. It captures the Great Commission that acknowledges that God isn't just looking for people just to have a holy huddle and gather together in a building and then go live separate lives, separated from their faith in Jesus Christ. But in actual fact, we're called to, to live in love like Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone in every area of influence. So it's really beautiful in its, its origin. But like many things, things can get distorted and co-opted and turned into things that are ugly. And so sadly, there actually have been other groups that have taken this idea and distorted it in such a way and have said, this is what we need to do. We need to put Christians in power and in control over each of those seven mountains. And there's been a movement over the last number of years where a group of Christians have said that we are tasked with being in charge in each of those areas. And once we are in charge in each of those areas, then things will go well. Then the kingdom of God will spread. And I've got to tell you, there's nothing in scripture that tells us that's true. Nowhere does Jesus say, you've got to go be in charge to make things right. Nowhere does he say in scripture that you have to be in power in order for the gospel to be spread. Nowhere does it say that you have to go and be the head of something, to be in charge of something, to control something in order for the kingdom of God to be experienced here on earth. He says, no. It's not about what level of power you have. It's acknowledging that who you are and wherever you are, wherever you are on the societal strata, wherever you are in an organization, show up. Be a witness. Know that God has called you to that particular place and time. That God can use an anonymous, unpaid individual that the world would say, they have no influence. Perhaps even more powerfully than the most powerful person that the world would define as having all the resources, all the control, all the riches in the world. In fact, Scripture says that the way God does things is to confound worldly wisdom. 
to take a different approach, to not come with a shock and awe campaign, but to move through hearts and minds that are simply willing and open. You know, in many ways, this brings us back to the origin story of this great song, Go Tell It on the Mountain. You know, society, perhaps in the 19th century here in America, wouldn't believe that a acapella group from Fisk University would be the, the instrument through which this remarkable song, this breakthrough song would, would spread like wildfire throughout the nation to touch our hearts and lives today in the 21st century. And yet that was God's plan. God uses everyone who is open. For this song, it was the Fisk Jubilee Singers. They could have looked around society and said, no one's going to listen to us. We don't have any influence. We don't have any power as we leave the universities, we go around the nation as we sing to different audiences. And yet they simply, they showed up. They used the gifts that God had gave them. And the song that they sang was a song that pointed to Jesus. It inspires me. I hope that it inspires you that no matter who you are, where you've come from, regardless of where you find yourself in layers or places of influence, that you would simply show up, that you would use the gifts that God gives you, that the song you would sing with your life, with your love, would be one that points to Jesus Christ. And again, this is what this next year is all about. This leadership series isn't just for people who say, I'm a leader. It's for everyone. Because you, you have influence. And so when we talk about what it means to be a church in our place of work, it isn't so that we can climb the ladder and be in charge. It's to be a faithful presence. It's to be the best bosses the best employees, the best baristas, the best parents, the best social workers, the best politicians, not from the world's point of view, but from God's point of view, that we come into it with humility, with sacrifice, with gratitude, with purpose, with love, with creativity. That's what next year is going to be all about relentlessly focusing on what it means for us to follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone and to be a church at work. And let me just wrap up this, this calendar year by saying this. Over the last year and a half, we've done something that we've never done before. We had talked about the need for it, but the pandemic forced us to do it. We realized that we here on this physical campus have such a remarkable influence, not just in Los Angeles, but we have an influence that could span the globe. And what's really interesting is that Bel Air Church is literally on a mountain. It's overlooking the San Fernando Valley. It's the only church on Mulholland Drive. And I've looked into this, that actually our physical campus is the highest elevation of any church in LA. And we don't do that to feel proud or anything, but to say that well, if we look at that, on one hand, we've been stewarded with what we have. And so we need to leverage that for the gospel. We need to not bury this reality. We need to, to give our lives, to give our all for the expansion of God's love and God's truth and God's kingdom and the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And so you are experiencing right now a decision that we made a year and a half ago to not let our physical campus be the barrier to hearing the gospel. We didn't want to have the gospel only be heard if you were physically in person. So we made the decision to broadcast our services. And in the last year, we have had people from over 160 different nations hear the gospel through the ministry of Bel Air Church. It's a remarkable thing, something we never planned for, something we didn't strategize for in a 10-year plan. We just showed up and started doing it, and God has blessed it in remarkable ways. And so on one hand, it's these two truths. We are equipping you to go tell it on a mountain, over the hills and everywhere. That's going to be our focus of 2022, to equip you to be the church at work, that you can share the gospel of Jesus through your life and through your actions. But also there's this truth that when we gather together formally as a church, that we have an opportunity to go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. And we've been doing that most remarkably through the digital reach of our digital campus. And that takes funding. That takes resources. We are in the last week of our calendar year. And if you've been part of our church family for a bit, you know that a third of all the giving of the entire year comes in the last two months of the year. And in fact, in the last month of the year, in December alone, 20% of all the giving comes in in this month. It, it causes me sleepless nights as I pray to God. God, I just need you to be faithful through our church family, to be faithful through me as I, as we give. And so much comes in at the very last week, the very last days, the last hours, I get gray hair over it. And yet God is so faithful. God has always provided. And so as you consider the last week, the last few days of this calendar year, as you think about, as you pray about, most importantly, what God would give through you, my hope and my prayer is that you would see that you have an opportunity not just in your own lives to go tell it on the mountain, but to give to the ministry of Bel Air Church through your time, your talent, and your treasure so that we collectively can, can go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere, not just in Los Angeles and in this nation, but to the ends of the earth. I'm so excited. I'm coming up on my eighth year as a senior pastor. I'm now more excited than I've ever been because I believe God has called us to so much. But it's not just me. It's not just our pastors. It's not just our staff. It is all of us. So would you make that commitment as we start this new year to join what God is doing through Bel Air Church? Because you are the church and you are called to be a church at work wherever you go, wherever you live, wherever you are. May God bless you as we wrap up the service as we worship with a special invitation at the very end. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you that you have come to us to give us the greatest message of all, the good news of your love for us. And so would we be people that are humbled and overwhelmed, filled with excitement and urgency, that we would go share this good news of love, of salvation, of forgiveness that you give us through Jesus Christ. May we be people that go. Go tell it. Everywhere we go. May we do this in your name, Jesus, with your love. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.